are a praying church, and we want to continue to pray for each other. Janae mentioned and prayed for Aldo and his family. Aldo Costa was our worship leader here at Grace from 2009 to 2012, and uh, died through COVID and is now with Jesus. We want to continue to pray for his family. It's just a reminder of how much we need to pray for each other as well. Uh, during the week, each day, we love each other and let's lift each other up in prayer. Also, the elders are here tonight. Those are our leaders that we choose. And uh, they're here several times throughout the year to pray right after a service. And if you have any prayer requests today, the elders, again, will gladly pray with you. You can keep your mask on, social distancing, but it's a time to connect and lift those requests up to the Lord. And right now we're going through the book of Genesis and Relationship Roadmap. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 13 tonight. And Relationship Roadmap is another way of saying heaven's perspective on our relationships. And tonight we're going to see how God protects us so that we can protect others. God rescues us so that we can rescue others. And first we're a recipient and then we become an instrument of God's protection. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for uh, a renewed sense of purpose. Even in the middle of a year like this, God, we sense your Holy Spirit moving. Uh, Lord, bringing us, uniting us together, Father, communicating to us, directing us. And Lord, we know that there's great purpose with you every day. We don't want to miss this purpose. God, we pray that you'd bless our relationships. God, we need your understanding. We need your patience. We need your love, God, as we rely on you. Pray that you bring healing and restoration, Lord. And even do great things tonight as we seek you together. Jesus, do great things here in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, God, in our relationships as we seek you together and we give you all the praise. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. We want to experience God's love, his power, and his wisdom in our relationships. That's the heart of this series. And today we're going to study a passage that helps us see and appreciate the fullness of God's protection. Sometimes when we hear God's protection, we think kind of narrowly and we just think of God's physical protection in our lives. And that is a blessing, but his protection is far wider than that. And in fact, I would say that the physical protection is not the most important protection that he gives. Today, we're going to look at three ways that God protects us. In Genesis chapter 13, if you brought a Bible or you want to find it on your phone, Genesis chapter 13, we're generous with Bibles. If you ever need one, let us know. We want everyone to have their own copy of God's Word. It's great to be in God's Word together. It's our food. And then during the week, stay in God's Word. You can reread this passage during the week. Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. And the first area where God protects us, God protects us from compromising, from compromising. Let me ask you, how's your soul? Not just your body, but how's your soul these days? Abram could have compromised in many ways. First of all, the world around him, there was a lot of darkness. He was surrounded by sin, rebellion, pride, idolatry. And not only Abram, but his whole family, his nephew Lot, we get a glimpse of this in the New Testament. Uh, Abraham and Sarah mentioned over 80 times in the New Testament. 
And in the book of 2 Peter, we read about Lot. Because as they travel to this new land and they've left Ur, a lot of pagan, idolatry, worshiping false gods, they traveled hundreds of miles, and now they're in this area, especially Lot's going to be in this area that we know of as Sodom and Gomorrah. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, describes what it was like for Lot. And it says, if God rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Have you ever seen and heard such things that you almost feel tormented in your soul? You can't believe this is actually happening. Like who would do that to an infant? Who would do that to an innocent person? Why would that kind of violence and injustice happen? And, and Lot looked around and that was his experience. And if you pay too much attention or give too much power to the world, some Sometimes you can get really discouraged and start to compromise or water down your faith. That was a temptation for Abraham and Lot. Another temptation is Abraham's returning from Egypt with a lot of money. There was a severe famine. They went down to Egypt. God provided in Egypt. Now he's returning with a lot of money. A lot of money can be a great blessing. But also there's a danger with a lot of money that you can become spiritually sleepy that you can just become, you can even put your trust in your money instead of putting your trust in God. And there's temptations there. Instead of having an appetite for God and a hunger for God, sometimes we stuff our souls with materialistic things. And it would be easy with a lot of money for him to compromise his fervency. Also, it would be easy to compromise because it was a long waiting time. Have you ever had a long waiting time? Just waiting and waiting and waiting for the Lord to move. God said he would provide children, uh, a child, Isaac, and they waited. 75 years old, Abraham got the promise from God. Isaac would be born. Well, it wasn't until he was 100, 25 years of waiting. And he would also be promised land, and he was waiting and waiting for the land. So with so much waiting, it would be easy to compromise our faith. But because of the world, because of the wealth, because of the waiting, he didn't compromise his faith. And what did he do in this passage? He worships. He calls on the name of the Lord. And that even means to preach and to proclaim. He's not going to be silent. He's not going to be sleepy. Instead, he's going to worship God. I believe that the most intense battle all of us have is the inward battle. The inward battle. And Bethel right here means house of God. And you can worship in the house of the Lord. But also, I think what we're learning in 2020 is that we want to be worshiping God wherever we go. It's not dependent on this building being open, although that's a blessing now, but we want to worship God where we live, work, learn, or play. And Abram's starting to learn, I can worship God in Bethel, I can worship God in Ai, I can worship God in Egypt, I can worship God when I have a lot of money, when I don't have a lot of money. The consistent thing becomes, I'm going to worship the Lord. And that's an inward, internal battle. When you think about compromise, you might think of the Apostle Paul, and his life was a very difficult one, very difficult one. 
And when you think about uh, what Paul shared, he compared athletics and he says, this life, I run my race and I run it. I'm not running aimlessly. In fact, I'm running it for the Lord. And that heavenly prize, I've got my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to run the race. And he says, like an athlete, I go into strict training. I even beat my body, make it my slave. In other words, I don't want to be mastered by sin or mastered by anything. I want to run for Jesus. And Paul described that civil war in Romans chapter 7, of wanting to choose the Spirit, choose life, choose God. And Paul went through a lot. What does protection look like in our lives? Do you ever wrestle with that? I think it's one of the most complex. It's real. God's protection is real. There's some mystery with God's protection. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was devoted to Jesus Of course, he was killing Christians at the beginning of his life. But then he came to know Jesus. He was devoted to Jesus. And what happened to him? He was in prison multiple times. He was also shipwrecked three times. For 24 hours, he was floating on the sea. And then he was beaten with rods three times. He was whipped five times. And that was with 39 lashes, the maximum amount of lashes. And then he went days without food and water. This is not a comfortable life following Jesus. And he even says that he had this thorn in the flesh. He was tormented night and day. You ever have something that feels like you're tormented night and day? He had this thorn in the flesh and God says, my grace will be sufficient for you. God didn't remove it. In God's sovereignty and his protection, he didn't remove it. But he said, my grace will be sufficient for you. And then we get to 2 Timothy Paul discipled Timothy. It's good to have someone in your life that you're leading and discipling. And Paul, it was Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 16. We read, uh, uh, well, let's take a look at it. 2 Timothy, there we go, 4, verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. He says right before this, Alexander did me a lot of harm. Has anyone ever done you a lot of harm? And you're kind of wondering, God, where were you? As that person, Alexander, was doing me a lot of harm, and there's some mystery there. Everyone deserted him. Alexander had done him a lot of harm, and yet he's still going to trust God. He knows God protects him. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Nothing means more than the closeness and nearness to God. And he says, I'm delivered from the lion's mouth. Paul was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens couldn't be thrown in in the Colosseum to the lions, so God protected him in that way. But Paul was having one close call with death after another, and he didn't know when he would be brought home to be with the Lord. And then verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What was Paul's attitude? To live is Christ, to die is gain. As long as I'm on the earth, my purpose is Jesus. But when I die, and God knows when, and it's his because we belong to him to call us home, to die is gain, to live is Christ. And Paul lived with this mystery and this unknown in terms of God's protection, but his confidence was in God. I want to say it again. Paul lived a very difficult life. Let me say it this way. Jesus lived a very difficult life. Sometimes when we say we want to follow Jesus, I kind of want to ask, do you really want the full Jesus experience? 
do you really want the full Jesus experience? Because that is the power of the resurrection, but that's also sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. And Paul wanted the full Jesus experience, and he laid down his life for the Lord. And so what are we thinking, what are we hoping for when it comes to God's protection? The most important thing is our soul and the fervency of our soul. It's more important than our bodies or our length of days on this earth. It's the fervency of our soul and living for God and real faith does not compromise. I had a gathering this week on Zoom with leaders across the Pacific Northwest and you know what their cry was? Uh, their cry was that we would mourn together, we would grieve together, we would repent together, we would return to God together, and there would be a fervency in our cities, there'd be a fervency in our lives, in our churches, there'd be a fervency coming out of and through COVID. And Paul went through a very difficult life. We've been feeling like 2020 is pretty difficult, amen? Pretty difficult year. But let's not compromise our faith. How's your soul? Abide with Jesus and let's have a fervency that regardless of the world, the challenges, shipwrecked, beaten, mistreated, injustice, let's walk with Jesus and have a fervency with him. That's protection from God. He protects our souls. Here's the second way that God protects us. God protects us from selfishness. From selfishness. Take a look at Genesis chapter 13. Starting in verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. The context here is quarreling. There's quarreling. Why? Because there doesn't appear to be enough. When there's a lack or not quite enough, we want, but we can't have, And they have so many animals. They have herdsmen. And they're coming to the conclusion that there's just not enough land and water and pasture for all of us. Maybe 2020 has been a year where you feel in some ways there's just not enough to go around. And I'm getting irritable because there's not enough of what I want. They were getting irritable. There was not enough. And they started to quarrel. So what does Abraham do in the middle of the quarrel? He says very clearly, let's not quarrel. Let's not keep quarreling quarreling. Let's stop quarreling. Is he in denial? Does he pretend like there's no quarreling? No, he's not in denial. He knows the the conflict that's breaking out. But Abraham is going to trust God. God has a solution in the quarreling. God has wisdom in the middle of the conflict. So what does Abraham say? First of all, he says to Lot, we are family. We're family. Let's get this perspective. Our relationship is more important than the land and the animals we're arguing about right now. Our relationship is more important. It's important to value people. Everyone's made in God's image. And to value people and to realize people are more important than the land. And uh, he says, we're family. And then he looks at the big picture. This is the Jordan Valley. And he says, take a look around. Look at the big picture. 
There's a lot here, and you can have the first pick. Do you see the humility? You know how you end a conflict? Humility. Someone's got to serve. Someone's got to submit. Someone's got to be humble. Someone's got to be walking with God. And he says, you go ahead and have the best. You can take the first pick. It takes humility and trust in God to say, go ahead, take the first pick. Now, if it was in court, or if Abraham wanted to, Abraham could say, I'm older than you lot. I'm older, I should have the pick. Abraham could say, I'm the leader, I should have the pick. Abraham could say, God gave me the promise of the land, I should have the pick. And Abraham, maybe in his mind, was thinking, I'm more mature, I should have the pick. But when I read the Bible, it says, if you're more mature, you should actually be the one that serves. If you're more mature in the Lord, you should be the primary leading peacemaker. Take initiative. Apologize. Make it right. It doesn't mean we're a doormat in life. It doesn't mean that we just say anything goes and there's no consequences for sin. That's not the message. But what Abraham sees is this is an unnecessary battle. There's some things in life, okay, they're unavoidable. We got to walk through them. It's conflict. It's big time. But this is an unnecessary conflict, an unnecessary battle. And what do we know from Scripture? Uh, First of all, love sacrifices. Love always includes sacrifice. We also know that God calls us to do the right thing and trust him with the results. Abraham's going to do the right thing, trust God with the results. And real faith leads to generosity. And let me ask you, who's really free, Abraham or Lot? You could say, well, Lot's free. He's got the freedom to choose whatever he wants. And I'd say, is that real freedom? Because what Abraham has is this freedom that he's just released it. He's released resentment, released bitterness, released selfishness. He's released all of that. He's living free. And Lot's going to choose the land. You say, well, that's not fun to be so generous. And I'd say, yeah, I agree. There's pain in generosity. There's pain in sacrifice. There's pain in respecting and honoring the other person and letting them choose letting them have their radio station, letting them have choice of vacation, letting them make the bigger decisions on finances. There's, you know, there's tension there and it's not easy, but you know what? Abraham, instead of being full of greed, full of God's love, he's full of God's love and he sees the spiritual far more than the materialistic and he values the relationship, he honors the Lord. And when you honor the Lord, you're never gonna come out of that with regret. Abraham is not going to come out of this with regret. He's going to honor the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 9, talking about wisdom in Proverbs. How do we live? Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. This is an invitation from God. Whoever wants wisdom, God will give it to you generously. You're involved in a messy situation. There's conflict. You know where you start? God, please give me discernment. i got to make some decisions here. God, please give me wisdom, how to respond, my attitude, my words, the timing. God, I need your help in this. And that posture right there, you watch what God will guide you through. And as you cry out for wisdom, God is always faithful. He will give wisdom. How does this play out 
You know what's interesting? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are there, and Lot is going to choose the land. It's a fertile land. On the eyeball test, Lot chose what looked good. And he said, that's what I want. That's the land. And Lot did not consult with God in this passage. Lot did not check in with Abraham to say, oh, let's talk a little bit about it. Lot had his MO was me first, my land. I see it. I like it. I want it. That's mine. And it looks like, wow, the land he received, that's incredible land. But the Bible tells us that he is right near to wickedness, dangerous, violent, vile, sinful, and that's where he's putting up camp. And he ends up in a place that's going to put him in a lot of danger. And let me ask you, uh, in life, have you ever ignored God, said the grass is greener on the other side, and I'm going for it? Do you know anyone who's just said, forget God, I'm going for the greener grass, me first, I'm going to get mine, and what happens when you get there? You kind of, ah, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. It really isn't. There's an emptiness there. And a me first lifestyle is just never fulfilling. I want to say it so clearly because a me first lifestyle is the gospel in many cultures in America, many microcultures. It's a me first gospel and it's, it'll never fulfill you. A me first life, a me centered life can never satisfy. We are made to know Jesus and we are made to serve and love others. And when we're in that posture daily, God does amazing fruitful stuff. But the temptation for all of us is me first. Lot's gonna go down the me first path right here. And Abraham's watching this played out. Has God forgotten Abraham? Does God forget you when you make sacrifices that maybe no one sees? And it's behind the scenes and you're serving and you're consistent and you're generous. Does, what does God see in that? He takes great delight. You're honoring, you're worshiping him. And this is what we see how God approaches Abraham with reassurance as this is getting played out. Take a look in chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, when you're in that position and you feel like you're taken for granted, you're overlooked, no one's grateful, uh, listen to the Lord. Listen to what the Lord's saying to you. Just listen to the Lord. It's the only voice that matters. It's where you get your affirmation. It's, it's where you're going to be built up. It's where you're going to uh, have life. And this is what the Lord said to Abram. After Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. There's more worship. God says, lift up your eyes. When you feel like there's no hope, you just lift up your eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And God says, lift up your eyes and look across this land. Look across this land right here because, Abraham, I want you to have my vision. Lift up your eyes because I want you to have my vision. I want you to see this how I see this. And I want to tell you what's coming. This land is yours. God is faithful to his word. The last will be first. The first will be last. Abram, you might feel like last. You've given lot first, but the first will be last. The last will be first. You're more blessed to give 
than uh, to receive, Abram. And, uh, and so these are all part of God's word. God says, walk across the land. What does that mean? Take inventory of the land? Yes, uh, that's probably included. You have authority here. There's authority. This land is yours, and there's victory coming, Abraham. There's hope. And then your offspring, more than the dust in the earth. Can you imagine how much dust there is in the earth? Anyone here vacuum sometimes? And I kind of think when I'm vacuuming and I'm cleaning, but then if the light and the sun is shining through, I think, how much am I cleaning? Because it just, I'm seeing dust everywhere. There's enough dust in one room. And you said the dust, not in, not in our living room, but you said the dust in the whole earth, those are the descendants. And as if God uh, was not understood, he said, yes, it's like the sand on the seashores. It's like the stars in the sky. Have you tried counting these? You can't. Abraham, what I'm going to do for you in terms of land, blessing, uh, descendants, God has many ways of blessing. God has many ways, now and eternal. And you will never be shortchanged by God. You will never say, God, I put in this, and then you get to heaven and you say, oh, God, you missed that one. God, you totally didn't reward me for that. That's never going to happen. You're going to get some blessings on earth. You're going to get many, 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 many more in heaven. Some come soon. Some come later. You will never regret serving the Lord, honoring the Lord. God rewards so generously, and he's giving Abraham a vision of this. So Abraham, even though he's, he maybe feels like he lost the best land, what he's gained is this security in God's voice and God's promise and God's presence. He's got this security that no land can buy. He's got security in his soul. And God's saying, I've given you all this. Whoever gives, gains. Whoever hoards, loses. First, last, last, first. Better to give than to receive. Take the whole culture, turn it upside down. This is my economy, Abraham, and you've trusted me. And you've lived this way. And Abraham worships. This is so good, God. This is so good. Fervent soul, generous spirit, worshiping God. It's a picture of life. It's a picture of life. God protects us. He protects us in so many ways, but he protects us uh, from a complacency, a compromise, a selfishness. There's one more thing. He protects us from passivity. Passivity. As it plays out, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 14, a few verses right here. Uh, tragedy breaks out. There's four kings. They have a coalition. They have an alliance. You know what they do? They invade Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what they're going to do? They're going to take captives right here. Abraham's going to hear about this. Uh, Abraham wasn't taken captive. Lot was taken captive. Abraham's got to make some decisions. Look at Genesis chapter 14, verse 11. The four kings, that's the alliance. They're violent. They come in, they seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. And when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men, 
born in his household, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions, together with the women and all the other people. You know, when I was preparing this, I was just asking God, what do I say? And a phrase that I felt uh, impressed upon to communicate is to tell you that you will rescue people. I want to tell you that today. God rescues you so that you're going to rescue other people. God protects you so that you're going to protect other people. And you, in God's strength and for his glory, are going to rescue people. Have you ever been in that situation where you know of someone like Lot who's in trouble and yet you have the news, God's given you the resources, and now there's a decision to make about a rescue? You're going to rescue people. There's four kings. They've taken Lot. They've taken so many. And Abraham hears, and what's his response? Notice, Abraham does not go into despair. It's not apathy. It's not delays. It's not procrastination. It's not excuses. He springs into action and he doesn't do it alone. Who does he gather? 318. 318 that have a ready spirit, a willing spirit. Uh, 318. I think about the number of leaders we have in grace. Haven't, we haven't done an exact count in a little while, but I'm so thankful for the leaders in our church. I'm so thankful for everyone in our church. Whatever you cultivate, that's what determines how ready you are. What are you cultivating? Abraham cultivated a fervent spirit. Abraham cultivated faith. Abraham cultivated unselfishness, and he was ready for the call. But people who cultivate an apathetic faith, people who are lukewarm, people who are kind in the selfish mode, when the opportunity comes to rescue, they're not going to be ready. 318 were ready, and they heard God's call, and they knew they had to take action. And we want to be part of that, that group that says yes, and we're ready for that next step with Jesus. We just watched a video. We've got over 40 international partners. I'm so grateful. Together, we get to walk with, pray for, support, encourage our international partners. We're one church family around the world, and we got a glimpse of Belgium. And I love the view of Belgium. You know, Belgium's a very dark place spiritually, and it would be easy to say, we got our hands full with Belgium. Whew, that's all we can think about. But that's not the vision God gave, and that's not the vision I saw in the video. The vision I saw in the video was not just Belgium, but also the nations. And the nations come to Belgium, and the nations are loved, cultivate training, the word, and then sent out around the world. The vision God gave us at Grace Community Church is not just our church family. It's not just Auburn, but it's awakening in the sound. And beyond that, we go to the nations as God leads. Don't shrink the vision. And what God's going to do through Abraham and the others, uh, they're going to say yes. They're going to move out of passivity, and actually they're going to step into a battle. It kind of reminds us of how much our military in this country, how many people serve our nation this way, protecting us, risking their lives, giving up their lives. Abraham's going to step into a battle, and he's trusting God with real faith. Abraham's called the Hebrew right here. It's the first time in the Bible. The Hebrew, usually in the Bible, derogatory name, the Hebrews. It's coming from people who aren't Israelites. But here, Abraham, the Hebrew. In other words, he's a clan leader. He's a patriarch. He's kind of a general right here as well. 
You know how far he's going to travel to get to Dan? 140 miles. This isn't a rescue like, yeah, you just go down the block and take a left-hand turn, you know, and it's like, yeah, four blocks over, and you do a quick rescue and come back. This is 140 miles. And there's no shortcut. And then when he gets there, it's going to be at night. But then, did you see, he has to also go to Hoba. Hoba, that's another 100 miles. God will often, when we're in rescue mode, rescue opportunity, God will often will go one distance and will say, whoo, I never thought I'd go 140 miles. That's a long ways. Whoo, Lord, you really led me longer than I ever thought I would go. And then God says, actually, my grace is sufficient, but I didn't call you just to go to Dan. I've called you to go to Hoba. And that's another 100 miles. Trust me in this rescue because this rescue is significant. Just trust me in the rescue, not just for Dan, but for Hoba. You will rescue people. I said that. You say, what are we going to rescue people from? God in his love rescues us, is rescuing us, will rescue us. And with a very humble posture, we get the honor of seeing people freed from addiction, freed from despair, free from isolation, overcoming injustice, healing, rescue from suicide, rescue from unbelief, rescue from heading towards hell, rescue without having any home, to have a loving home, rescue those who don't have parents to have a forever family, rescue those from human trafficking, rescue those around the world that don't have clean water, that don't have food. God rescues you and resources you so you will rescue others. Now let me ask you, what's breaking your heart? What's breaking your heart? Because I think there's a really good chance that's your call and that's your rescue. What's breaking your heart isn't breaking the heart, maybe even the person next to you or the row behind you or two rows up. But have you listened to God? Do you know what's breaking his heart? And then have you let him move in your life so that you wouldn't stuff that, but that you would listen and then walk by faith? Because Abraham is a broken man when he hears what's happening to Lot. His heart is broken, and he knows he can't do it on his own strength. So he's going to have to do it God's way because unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. In every single rescue that's ever happened in the Bible, in every single rescue that'll ever happen in our lives, whether we're the recipient or the instrument, it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus because there's one rescue that's above all rescues. And the Savior of the world, the Messiah, loves you enough, not just from a distance, but loves you enough to leave heaven and come to earth, to become human and to die, to be murdered, mocked, spit on, beaten, forsaken by the Father. No love like this love overcomes the grave. No rescue like this rescue. No rescue that everyone sinful apart from God forever has been rescued through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus so that anyone who wants eternal life and peace with God can say yes to this gift, not earned, but a gift. There's no rescue like that rescue. And out of that rescue, every other rescue flows. Whether people want to acknowledge God that he did the rescue or they want to try and deny it, the fact is still every rescue comes from God. And God is a God who rescues. That's why we worship him. 
There's mystery. Sometimes there's disappointment. But his rescue is real. And ultimately, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So what happens at the end of this rescue? It's an interesting ending. Uh, you couldn't really plan this, but it's because God's the author. <laughs> and there's two kings that come forth after this victory. And maybe you've had some success. Maybe you're in a real thankful position right now and you've seen God do some pretty amazing things. And these two kings are kind of symbolic and they're also very real. And the first king that comes is from the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom can't be trusted. He's manipulative. And sometimes when you have success or blessings or resources, someone will approach you as manipulative. And as he approaches, he wants to give some goods to Abram. And Abram says, no, I've heard from the Lord. And I'm not going to receive what you're given because I'm not going to partner with you. And sometimes you've got to have distance from people. You've got to be discerning and you've got to have distance. And he says, I'm not going to partner with you. I'm not going to receive it. You're not going to get the credit for this. I'm not going to be obliged to you. I'm not going to play your games. I'm not going to let you try to be my Lord. And so, no, I know this is a situation I'm not going to receive from the king of Sodom. So Abram's tested, but he's discerning. And he puts a limit there. He puts a boundary. But then the other one who comes forth is Melchizedek. And I don't have all the time here to talk about Melchizedek, but uh, what I will say is a couple things stand out. His name means uh, the king of righteousness. And then he's the king of Salem, which is the king of Jerusalem. And then there's bread and wine together, which I think of communion, but this isn't necessarily, uh, you know, this is communion, but, uh, but it's symbolic. And then what's interesting is uh, Abraham gives a tenth, gives a tithe. God asks us to give a tithe. Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. The greater blesses the, the one who's then serving. And Melchizedek, uh, mentioned in the Old Testament, including Psalms, but also in the New Testament, Hebrews, eight times, so you can read the book of Hebrews, great study this week. Melchizedek is both king and he's also priest. And it's like, wow, a king and a priest, king of Jerusalem. And some people will say that Melchizedek is in the type, the typology of Jesus Christ. Others say that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. We don't have any record of his family right here. So there's mystery with Melchizedek. But here's what's absolutely clear. Melchizedek, and we'll close with this, in verse uh, 19. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And what did all the ites say in worship? They did not believe the God of the Bible is the God most high. They're false gods. They say their false gods are the God most high. And they created and over heaven and earth. And what Abraham's saying is that this whole rescue and everything that's happened is, here's a primary purpose, is in addition to loving Lot, a primary purpose is that the people in the land are seeing who the real God is. This is for God's glory. God's going to outshine the devil, the demons, and all the false gods. This is the real God. And then also verse 20, And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Uh, Abraham, at that point, could have had a little pride. If something's going well in your life, you say, yeah, I am doing pretty well. I am doing pretty well. I did do pretty well. Yeah, I am. I kind of am. If that's starting to swell up, You know, we all need a Melchizedek. We all need someone that will come alongside of us and say, "Uh, you know why that went so well? God delivered. That's what happened. God delivered. No doubt here, God gets the glory. Abraham, you had the privilege and honor of being God's instrument, but it was God who delivered. 
If God didn't do it, Abraham, it doesn't matter how many trained men. Didn't matter if you had 318,000. Didn't mean if you tried as hard. Didn't mean if you went twice as far. Didn't mean if you stayed up twice as long as night. If God didn't do it, wouldn't have happened. And so he takes this in and God frees us from pride. Again, protects us from pride, protects us from being passive, protects us from being selfish, protects us from having uh, a spirit that's complacent or even compromising. And who do we praise? You just keep reading in Abraham's life. Praise, 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 praise. Another location, praise. Another step with God, praise. Praise our protector. Praise our provider. Praise our preserver. Praise the Prince of Peace. Praise Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to uh, worship through a song called Rescue. And during this song, I want you to, to have a couple things, a couple things during this song. Uh, one is that myself and the elders will be over here to my left. And during this song, if you want prayer for anything, you need a rescue, uh, come over for prayer. Come over for prayer. I also want to encourage you during this song to think about how God's rescued you. What has God done to free you and rescue you? And then I also, another part of this song could be that you know someone right now that needs a rescue. And you just want to, during the song, be praying for somebody. Talked about your heartbreaking. You want to be praying for God to rescue. And even say to God, God, I'll be part of that rescue mission. God, I'll be on mission. I'm yours and I'm listening. So as we worship, this is a God with his presence. When there's praise, his presence is magnified and the Holy Spirit moves and will communicate and maybe it's a returning to the Lord. Maybe it's asking for a rescue. Maybe it's saying, yes, God, I want to be part of a rescue. Let God move. Let's listen to God and then let's respond. Our God is so good. He's so good. He leaves the 99 and he'll rescue you. He's done it. Uh, think about your own life, how he's rescued you. Just take that in. Take that in. This is an abundant love. This is a lavishing love. This is a real love. This is a fulfilling love. He rescues you. Hopeless, despair, in sin, all alone. He rescues. He rescues. And not only are you made to be rescued, and that's Jesus who rescues, but you're also made to rescue. And if you haven't done this in a while, I encourage you to take some time with God this week to listen. Maybe it's, you're feeling the urgency. It's going to be tonight. And you just ask God, God, who have you made me to rescue? Who is it? Is it a kid? Is it, is it some people in the next generation? Is it in another country? Is it the ones who are sick? Is it the ones who need emotional encouragement? The ones who've been abused, the ones who've been raped, the ones who have an eating disorder, the ones who don't know how to read the Bible. And it's gonna be through you, your personality, your gifts. It's gonna be, you were made beautifully, wonderfully. Don't try to be anyone else. He's gonna rescue, he's gonna rescue through you. Don't fight him how you're made. Just receive and run with it. This life is short. One thing about 2020 is I believe there's never been a greater need for more rescues. I see what's happening in divorce. I see what's happening with abuse. I see what's happening spiritually. I just saw another suicide. The 
middle school kid this week. This is 2020. We need a rescue. We need our Redeemer. We need the Lord. This isn't time to play church. This isn't time to play games. This isn't time to think life is mundane or boring or there's no real purpose. That's not the time right now. It's not the time. You listen to the Lord. Ask Him who you're supposed to rescue. And then you run and you run in that purpose and you run deep and you don't look back and Jesus will give you everything needed for the rescue. His grace is sufficient. His power is mighty in our weakness and we'll do it together and we'll celebrate each other's callings and areas and we'll celebrate that together and God will get the glory and it'll be evident. The greatness of Jesus will be evident in our lives. Satisfied souls, abide and respond. Abide and respond. God, thank you for meeting with us, guiding us. Thank you, God, for your perspective on relationships, your love, your power, your wisdom. Thank you for renewing our lives. God, change the way that we, uh, you know, with our spouses, with our extended families, our parenting, our jobs, our neighbors, our church family. Just change the way we're doing relationships, God. Come in your mighty power, God. Change our relationships. Reconnect, heal, strengthen, and restore, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.